Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. Previously on Avatar The Last Airbender, Aang, Katara, and Sokka zigzagged from place to place, checking off items on Aang's bucket list as they made their way to the North Pole, while Zuko and the Fire Nation gave chase. So today we're talking about three episodes, um, episodes seven, eight, and nine. What other titles? We are doing, um, episode seven is The Spirit World Winter Solstice Part One. Episode eight is Avatar Roku Winter Solstice Part Two. And episode nine is The Waterbending Scroll. All right, so... uh... Before we get into our thoughts, Kelly, why don't you just give us a brief summary of each episode? Okay, do you want me to do one episode and then, or do you want me to do all three at once? I think we could probably do one at a time. So let's let's do the first one. Okay. Spirit World. So this is episode seven, The Spirit World. The gang comes across a forest that has been decimated by the Fire Nation. The nearby village has been haunted by the malevolent spirit High Bay ever since. The villagers beg Aang for his help, as the Avatar is the bridge between the spirit world and the material world. But Aang doesn't know how to be the Avatar, and he has no teacher. After Sokka is taken by Haibei, Aang enters the spirit world and communes with a dragon that used to serve Avatar Roku. After returning to the material world with vital information, Aang is able to soothe Haibei, promising that the land will renew itself and the forest will grow back. Sokka and the other captured villagers are released, and the trio steal themselves for the journey they must now make. Meanwhile, Iroh is captured by Earthbenders, and when Zuko must decide whether to rescue his uncle or pursue the Avatar, he puts family first. Nicely done. Thanks! (laughs) Very good. So, uh, what are our general thoughts? Uh, Kellen, why don't we start with you, since you're the newbie? Hmm. So... This um, episode finally seems like we're getting to some plot stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) It finally feels like seven episodes in, we're getting to some actual plot, which makes me very happy. (laughs) Um, So in that sense, I really liked it a lot. Um, I thought this was a good episode. I thought there was a lot to like about it and a lot that I did like about it. I thought, um, you know, that, that spirit thing is real freaky looking in the yeah, beginning. I know. Yeah. Total nightmare fuel. I was like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't understand the design of it or why it looks so horrible, but it really, it looks like something out of like aliens or predators or something. I don't know. It's very frightening. I actually looked that up and apparently they designed it off of uh, another anime called, what was it? Gundam? Something with giant mechs fighting giant monsters. And that narrows it down to about 50. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know what it was. It was Evangelion. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of some of the spirits that you would see in, like, Miyazaki Spirited Away, like No Face, which creeped me, the, <laughs> really creeped me out when I first saw that movie. I was just like, ugh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of, kind of that similar, just like, 
I don't know what's wrong about it, but there's something wrong about that design. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I was very frightening. I was very relieved at the end when it transformed into like a panda bear. Um, that was good. I I liked this episode um, quite a bit. I I thought that um, Katara was kind of strangely sidelined in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Sokka is too, eventually, because of course, you know, um, he gets taken by the spirit, um, and then it's Aang alone, and Aang needs to be alone, because I'm sure that um, the others can't go with him to the spirit world, so it makes sense, but um, I feel like right from the beginning, she was kind of sidelined when Sokka goes out to help Aang, the villagers kind of stop her from going, and then, you know, she just kind of hangs out, and they show clips of her periodically throughout the episode to be like, oh, no one's back yet. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, and I get that, you know, not everyone can have a main part in every um, episode, but it was just, I think, a little bit strange to me to see her so resigned because I feel like we've been developing her character is this person who's like flinging herself headlong into danger to save people. And with both her brother and Aang being gone, I mean, she takes Appa and they go and look, you know, and she searches and stuff, but it just seems very sedate to me. And I don't know that I believe that Katara would be that chill about it. I feel like this is just one of those decisions that the show creators made knowing that like two episodes from now, she's going to have an entire episode basically to herself Mm-hmm. And they needed to lay a lot of track for Aang, so they had to give, like, make this, and the next one, really, because it's a two-parter, very Aang-centric. Oh, totally. I mean, these episodes are, you know, 25 minutes max, and there's a lot of stuff to cram in there, so I completely get it. Um, but I just, I thought it was a little bit strange. I think that's the first episode where she hasn't really had almost anything to do. Um mm-hmm. So far, but I liked, um, I liked Aang going into the spirit world. I liked the way that he was able to communicate with the dragon, you know, when the dragon touches him with not tentacles, but like tendrils. It's like whiskers, whiskers. or something. It's like his beard or his whiskers. Yeah. yeah. When the dragon, you know, touches him with those, they can communicate, um, or understand one another in that way. And, um, I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was, I... I think it's interesting that, um, you know, Aang says to the dragon who... Does the dragon have a name? I don't recall if the dragon is actually named or not. I, I don't think so. I don't think in this episode. I mean, I think eventually yeah, not, they give him one. I think later, yeah. Later you hear what the name is, yeah. but they just said the dragon was uh, Roku's animal guide. And yeah. That was it. Um, yeah, and Aang, you know, kind of comments like, oh, you are to Roku what Appa is to me. Um and I thought that was interesting, too, and kind of informed that relationship a little bit. Because I guess I didn't... Um, I thought of Appa as being, like, special to Aang, and it's clear that they have a special connection. But I guess in the flashbacks that we saw about the Air Temple, you know, with all those other um, flying bison around, it didn't occur to me that Appa was anything other than, you know, like, just another flying bison um, that happened to be friends with Aang. But if they're positioning him more as, like, an animal guide, I think that's interesting. I don't know if anything will come of that or not. You will see some about 
I don't think this is spoilery. It's just kind of a little bit of the world building. Each element has a representative animal. Mm-hmm. So for air, it's it's the air bison, and for fire, it's the dragon. You'll see what the Earth Kingdoms is later, and you also. I think the end of this season, you get to see what water is. So each they all kind of have like representative animals. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I thought all of that was really cool um, in terms of that storyline. I have some thoughts about kind of the B-plot, too, with Uncle Iroh, but I don't know if you guys have anything you want to say about kind of the main plot first, or any questions you have for me about it, or... Um, no, not particularly on my end. I mean, I do... This is really the first hint that we get of the spiritual side of the Avatar, which kind of, until now, we've not really focused on at all. Um, so I, I do like that this is introduced to you in, in this way kind of, like, dropping you straight in the middle of an action problem, as opposed to, like, somebody sitting back and, oh, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that worked pretty well. Um, and it, it's funny because I, I do think of this and part two as kind of being one big episode. Right, yeah. Right. So I'm, like, trying to remember what was covered in this one and what was covered in the next one. Mm-hmm. Like, separate from each other. But overall, this was pretty solid, I think, um, in terms of just introducing more about the world to you and and everything like that. Yeah, I thought the mm-hmm. world building in this episode was particularly good. And there, most of it was, like, throwaway stuff. Like, I mean, not that saying Appa is, to me, what, you know, the dragon was to... Right. Is a throwaway, but um, that wasn't, like, something they spent a lot of time on. They said it and moved on. Um, same thing with the Iroh stuff. You know, they mentioned his 600-day siege of Ba Sing Se. They mentioned they call mm-hmm. him the dragon of the West. Like, these are things that are important to the world, that have not come up yet, and I really, I don't know, I just like how they mm-hmm. handle it as they go. Yeah, it feels lived in. It's not like, as you know, Bob. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I tell you a tale about the dragon yeah. of the West? <laughs> it's it's one long, continuous history, and, and the characters who are in it are living it as opposed to taking the time to explain it to you, which I think they do a pretty good job with. I, I would agree, I would agree. Um, yeah, and there's nothing worse than a massive info dump of just exposition. So I really appreciate that they're avoiding that thus far. Um, yeah, I thought the uncle Iroh stuff was really great. I thought, um, you know, of course it's funny because it opens with Iroh in his, you know, self-made hot tub. Right. Essentially, (laughs) um, you know, being kind of crude and, embarrassing Zuko and whatever and um still trolling his nephew yeah yep. pretty much so expertly <laughs> the best troll I wrote down I wish I enjoyed anything as much as Iroh looks like he's enjoying that bath <laughs> yeah I said we should all model ourselves after Iroh right. just mm-hmm. his philosophy on life mm-hmm. yeah I um yeah it's great the whole thing is just great and then he's captured by Earthbenders, um, and remains, like, essentially naked the entire time. I was like, the idea of naked Iroh is just as horrifying to me as it is to Zuko. I was just like, ah, I don't want to see this. I don't want it implied, even. I just like, ah. Don't, don't want it. Oh, God, it was so great. And the thing that I thought about it that was really interesting, too, is that... So, we've established that Uncle Iroh is a supreme troll. 
in terms of Zuko. Um, you know, loves nothing better than to just absolutely troll him relentlessly. We have also established that um, Uncle Iroh is a masterful fighter, um, and we've seen him handle himself well in um, battle situations so far. And so, you know, this backstory that he was once a great general and had this big 600-day um, battle is not surprising to us. But the thing that I love about this, too, is that Iroh remains in character even through his captivity. Like, yeah. he just goes he goes from trolling Zuko to trolling the Earthbenders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And just being like, oh, I'm so tired, and oh, my handcuffs are too loose, and just, like, just completely, he doesn't, his core self or his demeanor doesn't change, even though his situation has changed. He remains. I love his tone when Uncle he's Iroh. complaining about those hand. you know, they jangle around <laughs> and hurt my wrist. I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> it would help me if you could tighten them. Right. Yeah. And he's like, tighten them? <laughs> Yeah. I, I just, you know, we've mentioned, I think, in a previous podcast that the the creators sort of call Aang a trickster figure, but really, the real trickster of the series is totally Iroh. Yeah. He's that wily old man that just, you know, I he's just so great, and every time, and I've always loved him, but just like, every time I rewatch the series, every time it hits me anew just how awesome Iroh is. Yeah. He's a really great, he's really, really great. Um, I just loved it. And I loved that, you know, that, so he's, you know, he's trolling them. Um, he's using opportunities to make smart choices. You know, he rolls down and drops the sandal for Zuko to find. And, um, you know, I, I, I just loved, um, his sense of control. I mean, he never seems afraid or he's never concerned or, you know, he's just like, okay, I'm going to troll these people for a while until my nephew shows up, and then I'm going to troll him some more, and uh, <laughs> going to do it naked the whole time, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, even um, when he was tumbling down the mountain, and they were, like, kicking mountain stuff at him, <laughs> like, he was just like, what a, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, I really loved it. Um, I did have a thought about um, a new way that they showed him manipulating firebending in this episode. And this is one of those things where I don't know if it just seemed like a cool idea. And so they just did it and they don't really care whether or not it makes sense. <laughs> because <laughs> I agree that it's cool, but I don't think that it makes sense. And that is um, both when he's heating the water and when he's heating the handcuffs to burn um, his captor. He does it, you know, either with his breath or with steam or with something, you know, there's clearly like this um, steam or smoke or something that's coming out of him um, that heats the water or heats the handcuffs. And I don't really get that as being like a firebending thing, because it seems like steam would be either air or water bending, but not firebending. <laughs> But I think it's cool. I think it looked so cool. And so I was, like, so on board with it both times. But then at the end of the episode, I was thinking about it. And I was like, but wait a minute. Like, and I don't I don't necessarily think that the writers, you know, were trying to tell us anything about the way that firebending works. More so than it was just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he could heat the water like this? Um, 
I think, well, I think that's just kind of related to, you see firebenders breathe fire. That's true. So, um, I, to me, I just, it seems, of course I've seen the show, so I don't know how much of that is coloring it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, if you could breathe fire, to me it seems to make sense that you would also breathe heat. (laughs) Yeah. True. I don't know, is this, I'm reluctant to say that, it's not plot spoilery, it's just like a, a tiny fragment of character development. They call him the Dragon of the West. That mm-hmm. For a reason. Yeah, like yeah. that breathing technique is sort of specific to Iroh. Because he, so it's like his signature move. A little, sort of I mean, thing. a little yeah. bit. It's, yeah. it's maybe not like how he tried to win the war or whatever, but like it's a thing <laughs> that he can do and not maybe everyone else can. Okay, I'll buy it. I mean, it was very cool, so... I'm willing I'm willing to accept it just as being something that was cool. <laughs> um So yeah, and then of course also in this episode my love for Sokka continues to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> he's just the best. I really think I think if I had to call it now, I think I can easily say that he's going to be my favorite um by the end of the series with Uncle Uncle Iroh a close second. Um but if I had to pick right now, he's he's definitely my favorite of the three. I just love him. I just, yeah. you know, I love he's, Sokka too. he's just like, Aang shouldn't have to face this alone. And... I know, I was like, oh, <laughs> protective Sokka. <laughs> Heart. You know, was, he's so, like, there's so much about Sokka that I really love. Like I said, it's so easy to make him the you know, the butt monkey mm-hmm. of the show. And he kind of is still, you know, he's the one that gets abducted by the spirit of the forest and all that sort of stuff. But like, he just, there's so much nuance to Sokka that I think really does come across, you know, mm-hmm. and of course the sense of humor, which I love. And, and like, Charles like, I think you can do it, Aang. And he's like, yeah, well, I think we're all going to get eaten by a spirit monster. <laughs> so, I love Sokka. I do. Yeah. I do. He's great. <laughs> um, yeah. Just a little detail thing that I thought was cool that I don't know if they've... I mean, I guess with um, Omashu you saw, you know, Boomy running around barefoot, but the soldiers, the, the people who abduct Iroh, they have, like, foot coverings, but you can see that the, their feet are just kind of free. It's like san- sandalless sandals or something, you know? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah their feet are bare or bearish, like you know, they, it's kind of like fingerless gloves, but for feet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. So I, I'm assuming that must help them connect with the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Feel it through their feet. Yeah. Aha! Uh-huh. I want to go back and watch it now. I didn't notice that. Um, I was just like, if there's anything else? Oh, I did make a note. I was like, well, of course Zuko's going to choose his uncle, like. Of course, right? Like, what other choice can you possibly make in a kid's show? But I also love that he can tell it's his uncle by just, like, sniffing the uh-huh. sandals. Yeah. Like, what is this? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, of course, at the very end, and he's like, he and his uncle have, have fought all the Earthbenders off, and then he's just like, now can you please put on some clothes? And I was like, yes, Zuko, who is saying what we are all thinking right now. <laughs> please put on some clothes. Yeah, I think, you know, and this, I think, is um, another great episode that just adds to my belief that Zuko is not the the villain of this series. And I, I mean, I think seven episodes in, that's become abundantly clear. We've met other people who are much worse um, than he is and heard mentions of other people who are worse still. So 
I, I do love, of course, that he chooses to save Iroh. And I, I love that he chooses not... It, it's not... He doesn't have any regrets about that decision or doubts or, you know, there's that moment where he's standing there and he's like, oh, I have to make this choice, you know, but after he rescues Iroh, he's not like, ah, it's all your fault that I, the Irobender got away. And, you know, it's not about that. It's just like, well, this is the choice I'm making in this moment and this is fine. And now that it's done, we'll move on mm-hmm. and, you know, pursue our, our goal. But I, I, yeah, I love that. I love them. I love their relationship. <laughs> I think they're great. <laughs> I hope that Zuko gets, you know, less murdery as <laughs> we go along. He's not really murdery, though. He's just like, I have to capture the Avatar. It's true. not like I have to kill the Avatar. It's true. I have to capture the Avatar. Very true. Was this episode so. the first time we saw those, like, giant ostrich things that the Earth Kingdom... Yeah, people? the ostrich lizards. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, that they ride around. Or the around lizard on. ostriches. I don't remember what order the, the animal comes in, but I think it's the first time you see them. Yeah. Yeah. They were weird. <laughs> right. But, like, in contrast to the, like, quote, rhinos at the Fire Nation ride, you know? Yeah. Every, everybody's got their weird, like, soldier animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's basically my thoughts on this one. Like we said, it is mostly, like, one big episode. So yeah. do we want to move right into part two, or? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. I, yeah, let's Okay. Go. Episode 8, Avatar Roku, Winter Solstice, Part 2. The trio travel to the Fire Temple so that Aang can speak to Avatar Roku on the Solstice. They journey to the fire... Oh, the journey to the Fire Nation is not dangerous for them alone, but also for Zuko, who has been exiled and told never to return. The Fire Sages who guard the temple are no longer loyal to the Avatar, but with help, the trio evade all their enemies, and Aang is at last able to speak with the Avatar who came before him. So, what the the information that Aang got at the end of the previous episode when he spoke to Roku's dragon was that if he goes to this temple on the winter solstice, he will be able to speak with Roku. And so, he is determined to go. And at first, he's going to leave Katara and Sokka behind and go by himself, and they very quickly talk him out of that. <laughs> because they're a family now and they all have to go together. Um, but, you know, this is important to Aang because part of what the whole previous episode showed us, too, was that he doesn't know how to be the Avatar. He has no teacher. And it's not enough just to be able to learn, you know, okay, here's waterbending, here's firebending, here's airbending, here's earthbending he could learn all of those skills and still not know how to be the avatar. And that's what he's really concerned about. And he feels the weight of that, that this is his responsibility. You know, the, it's the avatar's responsibility to bring balance. And since he's been gone, the fire nation has gotten out of control. And so it's his responsibility to stop them. And he doesn't, know how he doesn't know what it is within himself or how to access what's within himself that will make that possible um and so that's why this conversation with roku is so important for him and why you know he's going into this horrible almost surely deadly situation in order to make that happen um and of course i love that Sokka and katara back him up 
<laughs> and, you know, I thought it was interesting, too, that we see um, Zuko going back there, too. And that's, you know, he is not supposed to go home and his uncle is very insistent about it. You know, he's like, we're still in Earthbender waters. We can still turn back. I can't help you. You know, if you get caught there, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to say or do to be able to save you. This is a terrible idea. Um, I thought that scene was like, really intense. Like, yeah, like I was like, man, this, I mean, I know what's happening, but still, this is a lot of tension for the beginning of an episode. Yeah, it's, I mean, it really feels like a two-parter. It really feels like we just immediately kind of go into the next act of this one larger story. Because it starts off really tense and they've got the, you know, they're, the trio's flying in on the bison and then Zuko is following and then Commander Zhao is back um, and he's, you know, gonna trying to block them off and then he decides strategically to let them through so he can follow them and it's like this whole big standoff kind of in that moment um, to open the episode. So that was pretty intense. Yeah, I actually made a note that the, the writing in this particular episode is very good because the writers show you this is the thing that you need to achieve and then throw immediately a, a you know a wrench into that mm-hmm. you know it's like any time they come across like the next thing that they need to do then something else comes up that gets in their way so it's never easy for them or you know it's like even when they get to the temple okay so they've gotten to the temple they've gotten past all the other fire sages but then like figuring how to open the door mm-hmm. or, you know, how to talk to... There's just all these sort of... It's a really, really good... And it's, I checked how long it was. I think it was only, like, 24 minutes long. So that's a lot of tension, but it's really well-paced, and I thought mm-hmm. it, they did a really good job with, with keeping it really tight. Yeah, everyone's everyone's got their own agenda, and everyone is pursuing it actively, and it doesn't get muddy. It doesn't get, like, messy. You're like, of course, this is how this goes. Like... He can't go home. Mm-hmm. He's been banished. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that it's really great, really tense, really well paced. Um, the stakes are clear. Everybody's goals are clear. Uh, I thought the fire sages were really interesting. Um, you know, the fire sages are the this group of men who are guardians of the temple, and they're supposed to be um, loyal to the avatar. And at one point in time, they all were, but as time went on, after Avatar Roku died, they were waiting for the next Avatar to come, and he just never came, because that was Aang, and Aang was trapped in an iceberg for a hundred years. And I I do not, obviously, um, I do not condone the Fire Sages, you know, siding with their evil, uh, malevolent... Fire Lord and, you know, being like, well, okay, this is who we serve now. Um, but I think, you know, when, um, is it Shayu is the yeah. one that helps them? I think yeah. when he's kind of talking about it and Aang is like, oh, well, did you know Avatar Roku? And he's like, oh, no, you know, that was a hundred years ago. My grandfather or my great grandfather or someone knew him, you know, but these fire sages, the fire sages who are in the temple now have no personal memory or connection with the last avatar have no, you know, it's easy to see how the fire Lord could win their allegiance away. If there's been nothing concrete for them, you know, to serve in all that time, clearly it was not 
a good choice to make, <laughs> but it's understandable. It's like, we've been here in this temple, you know, our fathers were here, our grandfathers were here and nothing happened and no one came and we waited and we waited. And now this is what we do. Um, so I thought that was interesting and, and more nuanced than I expected <laughs> again from a children's show, um, which I think is probably my most, uh, common remark that I've made on these podcasts is that, you know, there's a lot more nuance here than I would expect. Um, but I thought that was great. And then of course there's the one who is still loyal, um, who helps them out. Um, and then when they're trying to, you know, break into the inner chamber and they need uh, only an, uh, only the avatar can open it or five simultaneous blasts, I think it is, yeah. um, will open the door. And Sokka comes up with this strategy that even though it fails is really brilliant. And I think one of you mentioned on a previous podcast that Sokka is going to kind of become like the tactician um, yeah. of right. the group. And I think this is kind of one of the first times that we're getting to see that in action. Yeah, I said, Sokka, the idea guy shows up again. <laughs> because yeah. it's true. Like, in the imprisoned, he, he goes comes up with the idea, okay, we're going to get you captured on the ship. You know, like, mm-hmm. Sokka does, you know, and, and as we've said, as, or at least I've noted before, he doesn't have bending ability. So, but it doesn't mean that Sokka is helpless, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he absolutely contributes to the group, uh, which I think is important. So I thought that was great. And then um, my favorite line of the episode actually comes shortly after that, where it, you know, he sets off the explosives and it completely fails. And, you know, everyone's disappointed. And Gantara's like, this is genius. And Hank goes, did the definition of genius change in the last hundred years? <laughs> and and uh, Sock is like, come on, Hank, let her dream. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the moments of humor that they're able to find, even when it's very tense, because it is a very tense scene, like that scheme has failed, it's not working, but they still are able to just kind of lighten the mood. I loved it earlier, you know, when Shayu is explaining, you know, what's going down. It's kind of funny because you're talking about this, about the, the fire sages eventually working for the Fire Lord. To me, it almost sounded like the first generation after Roku died, I guess, really, um they were kind of press ganged into it by Emperor mm. so by Fire Lord Sozin, who's the first one to like use the power of the comet to like start his conquest of the rest of the nations. Right. Um, because if you notice this, it's not the current Fire Lord. It, it was the Fire Lord's father. I think it was his grandfather. Was grandfather. It, it was, I think it was his grandfather. It was like two yeah. Fire Lords ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a intergenerational war that has been going on for a very long time. So to me, like when they talked about like that sort of first generation of the keepers of the temple after the avatar disappeared, were sort of press ganged into it by Sozin and then uh-huh. subsequent generations of the fire sages just kind of like, this is what we do because the avatar right. is no longer here. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that makes sense too. I think, um, that I should I'm gonna have to go back and watch those again because I think some of the genealogy is lost on me <laughs> as a first time viewer. I'm trying to keep everyone straight and so I should probably go back and watch that. I'll probably end up watching all three of these again after our conversation actually. 
And and it's not that they're mentioned once and they disappear. Sozin will come back, mm-hmm. uh, like, or they will mention Sozin again. So it they, it's not like they'll drop a character and then never mention that character again. Like every character is gonna come back is going yeah. to come back in some way. Like yeah. it's there's no fluff in this show, not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's called it's Sozin's Comet too, and so and so once Aang eventually does get in to the inner chamber where he can speak to Roku. Um, you know, there's a few more obstacles that they overcome. Zuko arrives and everybody gets restrained, but, um, Aang makes it and is able to speak to Roku. And the information that he learns is essentially that Sozin's comet is going to return by the end of the summer and that, um, the Fire Lord, the current Fire Lord, um, Orzai will use the power of that comet, um, to cement his victory you know he'll just completely take over the war will be over and he will have won he'll be unstoppable and so that gives us a hard deadline of when ang needs to get some pretty hefty power going on i know i, I said no pressure ang yeah, yeah. It's like it takes years to master each element but you have to do it by the end of the summer <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that because that means that we're probably going to be pretty plot heavy from now on. And I'm not a person who, you know, I know I've made this complaint before. Um, I'm not a person who needs plot. You know, I love character development. And I think a lot of the first uh, several episodes that we've had of this show have been about character development. It's been about getting to know these people so that now when the plot kind of picks up, we know who we're dealing with. Um, and so I can appreciate that. But I, I am very excited that it seems like we're finally going to be moving toward some plot-relevant stuff. There's some overarching stakes now for the rest of the season or series, depending on you know how they wrap it up. But I kind of know what the stakes are now. It's not just a vague, like, oh, Aang needs to restore the balance. It's this comet is coming once it does, if not stopped, the Fire Nation will become unstoppable. And so that makes me happy <laughs> that I know. I know what the stakes are now. I know what we're in it for. It's something that I can latch on to and kind of say, okay, I'm, I'm along for this ride. I mean, if you think about it, one, we're one-third of the way through the series right now. Through the season? Yeah, sorry, through the season. Because I think, what, there's like 20-some episodes? Like 20... Probably 22, 24. Yeah. So we're, you know, this is episode 7 and 8. So really, you're only about a third of the way through the first first season. Um, And a lot of other shows take a lot longer to get the quote story going. Yeah. And I, you know, when you look at kind of the long view of the series as a whole, I think they do pace out the plot pretty well. But... If you're used to kind of the shorter... Nowadays, we don't have many shows with episodes more than 13 episodes at a time. Um, But that's not the case here. You've got twice that many, more or less. So it Mm -hmm. takes a little bit longer for the story to get going. Yeah. I've got a few things about the the fire temple itself. Um, The the doors, there's that special secret passageway thing, and then also the big giant one with the fire blasts. Just... 
harkens back to my annoyance that they haven't made a decent video game out of this yet. Like, <laughs> like holy hell, it practically wrote itself. Yeah, the itself. side secret passage. Yeah, like, <laughs> or like you need it. You need to learn a firebending move to open the big door, or what? You know, like how hard is it really, guys? Mario threw fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's true. I mean, it it really would be a really cool video game, but you know, as we've mentioned before, the the merchandising for this for this show has been not that great. I also wanted to make a note about the imagery in this particular episode of the Fire Nation. Um, I've mentioned before they do a pretty good job about kind of synthesizing various East Asian cultures to kind of give you sort of a a unique world, but it doesn't feel like totally made up or without consideration. So like a lot of the imagery you see in the fire temple is actually Buddhist. Um, Especially like when you see the statue of Roku and he's got the the kind of golden flames behind him. Mm -hmm. A lot of Maitreyas in Buddhism have that sort of, basically it's a corona. It's like a halo behind them, sort of similar to the way Western saints do. So it's kind of a lot of Buddhist imagery kind of and almost sort of southeast asian as opposed to kind of like more like like thai or indonesian as opposed to like east asia like china japan and korea there's that there is one aspect of the show that i actually didn't mention until now the the most western thing about the show is actually the elements themselves (laughs) um really yes because east asian cultures they have five elements it's Water, fire, air, metal, and wood. So those are the five elements in Asian, sort of like Asian kind of like classical elements. And on top of that, the the dragon as being an element associated with fire is very Western. Because in East Asia, the dragon is associated with rain. Really? So water or, or wind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole fire and dragon thing is a very Western concept, especially the wings that like the bat wings that it was flying in, in the spirit world. I was like, that's a very Western thing. <laughs> it is the only thing. I mean, it doesn't really bother me at all, but it is like the one, one definitely mm-hmm. notice big noticeable difference. Yeah. I, huh, that's really interesting. Of course, those are all my associations because I'm, you know, from a Western culture. And so I'm like, well, of course the fire is, you know, dragon. That's what dragons breathe fire. That's what they do. But that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, like I didn't go that deep. Like I just wrote anime? down the fire temple looks very Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very Buddhist temple, the kind of pagoda shape with like multiple... Mm-hmm. Right like layers to it as opposed to sort of other more indigenous folk temples across Asia don't really look like that. They're not stacked up like that. Um, so, and the fact that it's a volcano to me is kind of Southeast Asian, you know, kind of like an ar- archipelago of islands that are volcanic, mm-hmm. kind of more of a, a tropical thing. Um, but yeah, the, the, if you actually watch like other anime or other kind of western things that have fantastical elements you will notice that the dragon is most often associated with water Mm. well i thought it was cool too because at one point when he's leading them through the secret passages shayu says that roku built these himself out of you know the magma um that was flowing through that and i thought that was interesting because roku is a quote-unquote relatively recent avatar um, and I'm assuming this temple has been around forever. And so 
that kind of makes me think like, oh, does every avatar, you know, add something to the temple or use a temple in a different way? Or is this, you know, like a collaborative effect from all of these different ones? Or was this just, you know, Roku was the only one who did some home improvements? (laughs) 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 Oh, um, I just, I guess basically like whether or not these questions ever get answered because you know, let's remember that the whole conceit of this podcast is that I've never seen this show. And so (laughs) I have no idea what's going to come back around and be answered or not, or what's obvious or what isn't obvious. So basically like everything that I bring up is just something that interests me. Like, I just think it's interesting. And so I might as well say it, whether it's, you know, ridiculous or not. And I realize that a lot of it too is going to be, I'm deliberately watching this show with, uh, a critical eye. I'm coming to it from this perspective. And so I might be seeing different things that I wouldn't see if it was just a show that I just had discovered and enjoyed and had started watching. Um, so I know too, that some of the things that I bring up might just be like, well, why is she bringing up this stupid thing? I don't know. <laughs> Which is fine. I can, you know, I'm very comfortable with my ignorance in this, uh, in this situation. Sort of. But I, I like that the world does invite those questions because, again, mm-hmm. it, it feels lived in. It feels bigger than just the story that you're telling because, you know, sometimes you've like or I've definitely read books or seen shows where the world building is basically just like movie sets, you know, mm-hmm. it's like total verisimilitude. And then if you like just kind of step just beyond the story, it's just like yep. wooden beams propping up yep. like a, yep. you know, like a matte paint. It's like capital letter world building. Capital letters. We'll just put a capital letter on everything. And that these are the scholars. These are the the government. This is the, this is the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, I do appreciate it. I really do think that the world building is uh, really well done and interesting and invites questions. And I'm excited to know more about it. I will say that this is probably the first time this group of episodes, um, that I've wanted to watch the next one where I've been like, okay, what, you know, what's coming next. I'm interested to see what's coming next because up until now, it's always been like, Oh, I have to watch another episode. (laughs) 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 But I, I feel like this group of episodes is the first time where I was kind of like, I wanted to see what was going to happen. I was actually, you know, looking forward to pressing play on the next one. So it's growing on me. Um, I forgot, uh, I, Two notes from the last episode I just want to throw out there. One was that the Haibei apparently translates to black and white or black slash white in Chinese. And also, hang on, what was his name? Oh, the um, the old man in the village. I mentioned this last episode that uh, the old man in the village that was getting attacked by the spirit is the guy who played Takagi in Die Hard. Yes, that's right. And I was like, I was like, I know, I know. Mike mentioned it. I was like, the name, his voice is so familiar. Yeah, to I me. mentioned it because it was driving me. I nuts. wanted to give you guys a heads up because, like, I heard it and I was like, whose voice is that? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, that's that's definitely who that guy is. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, in this episode, though, there's a guy, the uh, the fire sage, the good one, I'm guessing, is an actor named. Clement von Frankenstein. <laughs> wow. That's his real fucking name. And that is amazing. On his IMDb, um, I guess rumored or there there isn't really a date. His next project is 
uh, Sherlock Holmes versus Frankenstein, and he's playing Frankenstein. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey? just thought I'd throw that out there. These are the things I look up when I'm done watching these episodes. <laughs> Um, Amazing. Yeah. Um, other than that, what I'm a just name. Gonna, Von Frankenstein, right? Like and Clement Von Frankenstein. Like that's like at least three <laughs> different countries right there. Yeah. Um, Roku was voiced by James Garrett, who um, his most regular title that I could find was voicing Alfred Pennyworth, the Butler from uh, a few Batman cartoons. But honestly, I love that voice actor for Roku. And he actually had my favorite line of the episode, which was, um, I believe you can do it, Aang, for you have done it before. Oh, that, that hit me yeah. right at home. I was like, oh, that's it. Like, just believe in him. He's got this. He's done it, like, millions and, of times. Yeah, and the, the whole idea that it's the same soul that gets born over and over and over again. You know, yeah. he's got lifetimes of information, even if this current life doesn't have it yet, he he has it, yeah. he's done it. So well, I love that too. I thought that was really interesting because the whole conversation with Roku is essentially a conversation with himself, right. if you think yeah. about it like yeah. in that way. And then that kind of comes around at the end because at the end of that conversation, Aang is like, well, how will, you know, when's the next time I'll talk to you? And Roku is kind of like, you know, I am within you when the time has come, you'll know, you know, how to speak to me. I can't remember the exact line but he basically says you know like when it is time you will know how and i'm always there with you and whatever and i was like oh yeah this is like his his reincarnated self that he's talking to right now yeah this is kind of the first Which, time again, they've done that children's show right right yeah this is the first time they've really like thrown that out there where you know they they directly addressed his reincarnation in terms of like his past lives are characters worth exploring and he might be able to commune with one or two of them, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. Do we have any last thoughts on this particular one? Oh, I just, a small thing, but like they've landed on the island and then Appa just like rolls over <laughs> and like exhaustion <laughs> is like the cutest thing ever. <laughs> he's just like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> I like that at the end when they're flying away in the moonlight and that like twinkly kind of string instrument is playing. Momo has stolen do, one do, of do, the hats do, do, from the do, fire sages. Hats, yeah. <laughs> actually, like I, I was looking at that and I actually made a note. Is the hat on Momo meant to imply that Shayu, the good fire sage, sent Momo and Appa back to get them? Because the fate of the other fire sages, you know, when the temple is starting to crumble, they're like, leave, and they've all fled. And I think they, like, mentioned, like, did Shayu leave with everybody else? And they're kind of like, what do we do? And then, of course, Appa at the 11th hour comes and saves them. And the fact that Momo was wearing one of the hats, I was like, was that Shayu sending them? <laughs> like, like go go back oh, after I just, them? Or, I, I, I don't know. it was, like, once the doors open and they see Momo is the one inside, then they all attack the fire sages. I assume that was just a hat from the guy that Momo attacked and, like, stole. <laughs> His trophy. <laughs> it's mine now. <laughs> I just love Momo's face. It's just, it's just like, this little black face with, like, really 
big green eyes that are kind of dumb. <laughs> like, the way Momo is animated is kind of dumb, you know? That's kind of like... Yeah, he is kind of doofy, really yeah. big, vacant. <laughs> I just love the way he's animated. JJ just did an impression for us, but you can't see it because <laughs> this is a podcast and not a video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should keep the miming to a minimum probably, right? Right. <laughs> Or I should just record it, and we can make little gifts we can put in our show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the Momo face. Blink. It's just this, like, big, doe-eyed, blank expression. <laughs> like, anytime we do a close-up on Momo's face, it's just, like, this blank face. I just love it. <laughs> All right. So do you have any last thoughts on this particular set of episodes because i do think of them as kind of like one big mm-hmm. episode oh i had one one yeah. little note um when the doors do finally open and ang makes a run for it there's a really quiet music bed that i only caught because i wear i watch this with headphones on um and it's the same like thing at the end credits like it's that same music bed that they just like hmm. slid in oh. yeah I just I love the I love the things there's they do. There's also sound. chanting in this one. Yeah, you're right. They there's also chanting in this one. Like I think of course I don't actually know the language, but it sounded to me either like Sanskrit or Hindu, but I couldn't tell. But yeah, there's chanting in this one as well. That was kind of like in the background. So I just thought that mm-hmm. I just thought that um, you know, uh, I just blanked on his name, the previous avatar, Roku. Um, I just love that he destroyed his own temple at the end. Like, you got you guys yeah. defiled this yeah. place. Fuck you. I'm <laughs> taking it with me. Yep. <laughs> Thought that was great. Okay. So, any were any final thoughts before we move on to the waterbending? Nope, those are mine. No, let's move on. Mm-hmm. All right. Episode nine is the waterbending scroll. Katara offers to teach Aang what little waterbending she knows, and immediately regrets it when he masters in moments what it's taken her months to learn. <laughs> On a trip into town to replenish their supplies, Katara steals a valuable waterbending scroll from some pirates. As she practices in secret out of jealousy, her frustration gives away their location, and both Zuko and the pirates come for them. This episode made me think of you, Kelly, a lot. Oh, no, I knew you were going to yeah. say that. <laughs> I was like, I could so I see, I could that. so see Kelly getting really pissed off at discovering a prodigy somewhere. <laughs> this is really uncomfortable I for can me to only watch. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> this is really uncomfortable for me to watch because <laughs> I have been that jerk. Often. (laughs) Because it starts out where, like, Katara's like, oh, I'll teach you what I know. This one's really hard, okay? So don't feel bad about yourself if you don't get it right away. Because she's thinking about, like, oh, I put all this time and energy into this. It took me so long. And, you know, I'll teach him, but I don't want him to feel bad when he fails. And then, of course, you know, immediately, not only does... Aang pick it up, but he's light years better at it than even <laughs> she is. Um, and it's just, you know, and you can kind of watch it progress as she teaches him her tricks that, you know, at first she's kind of like, well, he probably just got lucky, but this one is really <laughs> hard. <you know? laughs> 
<laughs> and as he goes through, and it's very clear that he is, you know, he's the Avatar. It makes sense that he's going to have an affinity for this once he's shown, you know, what it is he needs to do. Um, but it, ju- I, it just guts her. And it's just like, it doesn't even gut her as in like it devastates her. It's like, it's in fury. <laughs> yeah, I had a sense about this episode that this I'm was like, going, this is going to hit Kelly right where she lives. Like, this is this is a Kelly episode like, for sure. Yep, I'm not yep. saying that I personally have experience with any of, of this. Not. <laughs> or know no. intimately what this feels like in any way. I actually thought of David but just, when, too, because I was like, when she first met David, he was the only person who was more well-read than she was. And that had to be one of those moments. <laughs> he's, he's, he is not more well-read than okay. I am. He has read different things oh, than I am. pardon me. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing no, it right now. No, you're clearly over it. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's just casually move along. <laughs> so, as listeners will have no doubt gleaned, um, I... I, this was a hard episode for me to watch. It was, um, it was tough to see Katara have such a hard time. It was tough to see her make stupid choices in the service of that frustration and jealousy. I mean, pretty much the entire episode is just a series of bad choices that Katara makes, (laughs) you know, each getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and, you know, she is upset that Aang is better at this than she is. And then she steals the scroll. Um, and then, you know, she... Sokka, Sokka has a line in the episode where, you know, they've stolen the scroll and Sokka's really angry about it. He's like, you endangered all of our lives for this stupid thing, you know, whatever. And then Katara and Aang are like, well, since we have it, we might as well, you know, use it. It's here, right? And so Katara looks at the scroll and she starts trying to do this move and Sokka's like dang he's like you got duped she just wants this for herself like she just she does not care about helping you become the avatar like this is strictly about herself and it's so true um, it's convenient that it also helps Aang but Katara did not steal it because she thought, oh, this will be really helpful for Aang. Like, <laughs> that was not her motivation. Um, you know, and, it, and eventually she loses her temper and she yells at Aang when he's sort of like, oh, you'll be able to get it. And look here, you just, you know, shift your balance and you do this. And he's trying to help her. Um, and it's, it's so humiliating for her and frustrating for her that she loses her temper and completely yells at him um, and is immediately sorry and apologizes and, you know, gives him the scroll and says, you know, I want nothing more to do with it. And I was like, there's still much time left. There's still too much time left in this episode. (laughs) This is is not the end. Why is she like having this heartfelt apology now? There's, you know, like 10 minutes left. Um, And of course, you know, she sneaks away in the middle of the night and takes a scroll and continues to try to practice, which um, the noise that she makes attracts attention. And that kind of leads to the climax of the episode. But yeah, just lots and lots of bad choices that Katara makes (laughs) here. And I feel like um, this is probably not the last we've seen of this particular flaw of hers. (laughs) 
probably this is going to be a recurring sort of a thing. Um, I mean, it may or may not be a recurring thing in my own life. And so, <laughs> so you know, um, yeah, this she, is tough. She didn't this learn a tough. lesson, like, down to the very last line of the episode, which, like, Sokka secretly stole the scroll from the pirates and was about to give it to her and was like, what did you learn? And she's like, don't steal. Unless it's from pirates. Because that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that there was really, that it was really about learning No, so there was no moral one. learned. <laughs> Mm-mm. I mean, the pool, it, I like kind of that there's no moral there in that, because she really, I think she is sincere in her apology when she first makes it. Yes. You know, so she got that sort of moral growth mm-hmm. out of the way. Um, and the point was for her to learn to do it, because at the end of the episode, she does the whip mm-hmm. properly. And I think the point is for her to level up, quote unquote, on her her own waterbending skills. Because, like, like I said, she apologized sincerely, so, like, her moral growth is kind of done for that part <laughs> of the episode, and you don't need to worry about it anymore. And I like that. I like that it didn't have a moral. I like that it was really about her becoming a better waterbender, period, mm-hmm. you know, because she needed to, and she not just, like, needed to on a personal level, but, like, literally needed to to save their lives. <laughs> yes, yes. And you can even see that in the beginning. You know, the moves that she is teaching Aang are very elementary you know like it's it's clear that even what little she's been able to teach herself is the most basic beginner level sort of thing and so knowing how to do more and advancing that knowledge is very important um for her personally and also you know these kids are pretty much being hunted (laughs) so having some having beefing up your defenses a little bit is pretty necessary at this point yep i've got um, Sokka get shit on well first off um i forgot to mention Sokka gets shit on and i think all three of these episodes and maybe all of the episodes so far like the wave crashes over him in this one in a previous one there oh when um they're running i think from the fireballs that are being launched at them um Sokka gets hit in the face with a he fish. falls off oh, right, that too but he also gets hit in the face with a fish, which Momo just eats, because that's Momo. Um, yeah, like, and then, you know, when she's practicing the water whip, she accidentally snaps it, uh, Momo, too. Yeah, yeah, and Sokka's like, she apologizes to Aang, and then he's like, what about Momo? And she apologizes to Momo, and he's like, what about me? And she's like, right, enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sokka's, like, totally humble, yeah. like, yeah, I probably deserve that in, like, a few of these episodes, but she is just not willing to give that up. Like, I've, I've done enough apologizing She's today. Like, Shut nope. up. <laughs> it's such, it, to me too, it's such a realistic brother-sister relationship mm. that she's like, you know, apologizing to everyone, well, everyone else and Sokka's like, hey, she's like, yeah. <laughs> forget you. <laughs> You're my brother, you don't need it. <laughs> I love too how the episode starts out and Sokka is cleaning up a toes. right. right. <laughs> He's like, you want me to clean mud out of a bison's toes? And hangs cheerfully like, mud and bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, actually kind of going back to the fact that Sock is kind of the butt monkey of the group. Um, is that like, you know, on the kind of the big climactic fight that he's being like 
you know, basically ambushed by two different guys, and he's like, "Would you do quit congratulating each other?" And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like he's always the butt monkey, but like that, mm-hmm. like later he actually gets rid of the last guy. So it's like, okay, yeah. but he's not a totally useless butt monkey. <laughs> and that's really kind of like Sokka's whole thing. He's like the butt of everyone's jokes. But he's also very useful, mm-hmm. like, you mm-hmm. know, he does contribute, and he's not, like, dead weight in the group, which I, I've always liked that balance yeah. in him a lot. Um, the yeah. Zuko-Iroh story was, I guess, kind of the B story in this episode. Um, you know, they only land because Iroh needs a new pie show tile, which I love. <laughs> which is in his sleeve right, the entire yeah. time. <laughs> um, but, like, eh, such a troll. Such a troll. I really, I don't know. I want to play Pi Show. I have no idea how it works, but I want that in my life. Um, and two, Iroh had my favorite line of the episode, which was um, after everybody gets captured and the pirates and Zuko have teamed up a little. Um, I have this same one yeah, quoted, yeah, I think. Yeah, Katara, Katara's <laughs> like, it's, I'm sorry, Ang, it's all my fault. And he's like, no, it, it's not. And Iroh's like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> Equal opportunity <Right>. troll. <laughs> I'll troll everybody. Iroh's just, he's so good. He just always comes in with just something else. Or like the whole thing, it's like, you know, when your boat's being sailed away by someone else. I, have like, I don't have time for your proverbs, uncle. And then like later he's like, maybe right, I right. <laughs> Are you so busy fighting you cannot see your own ship has set sail? <laughs> And it does. It sounds like something mystical Iroh mm-hmm. would say, but he's like, no. <laughs> They're literally sailing away with your ship. <laughs> uh, during, so the sh- during the fight on the pirate ship, two of the pirates just lift up Sokka and throw him at the sail. Like, he just hits it and falls yeah. off. <laughs> Sokka. And, like, earlier, too, when they ambush... Uh, Sokka and, and Aang, and they, of course, they throw a net at Aang, and they've captured him, and then Sokka's like, oh, what, I'm not going right. to kidnap? It just killed me. Oh, and we got to see cabbages <laughs> again. Oh, friggin'. We did, I, I, I noticed did you that. Notice? <laughs> I love seeing him every time. <laughs> every single time I love seeing that cabbage guy get, get all of his cabbages destroyed. <laughs> I know we should keep a guy. running total. <laughs> Two yeah. episodes so far. <laughs> he's so great, and he's like, and I thought it was bad at Omashu. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to think of what other oh, notes um, I Oh, when Katara gets um, kidnapped by Zuko, he, like, tempts her by offering her the necklace back. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. like, such a, like an emotional, like... Like, I know you lost this, and I have it, yeah. and I know you need it back. Like, you need this back. That's how bad you want it, you know? Maybe you'll sell someone out for it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I, I just thought that was, like, such a sly move on Zuko's part, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I love Zuko, and this I don't think this is venturing into spoilery, spoilery territory at all, but there is a huge contingent of Avatar fandom that ships Zuko and yeah. Katara. <laughs> and the ship is called Zutara, <laughs> by the way, which I never personally... I never personally 
liked it or saw it. Like I didn't, but like this episode, I was kind of like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get it now. <laughs> but like on a personal, it's like totally not my ship. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, there's a huge, huge Zutara fandom, and and like. Kelly, you and I were both online during the the Harry Potter fandom, big Harry Potter fan days, and, like, the huge ship wars that happened then. It was, like, that's, like, the equivalent of the ship wars that will happen in Avatar. So, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. And that's before we get to (laughs) Legend of Korra, which might be an entire TV show composed of shipping. Like, everyone ships everyone on that show. A lot, a lot yeah. of different ships on that show, for sure. And people get very passionate about it. Oh, I was glad to see that Iroh, while, while he didn't get his pie show tile at the market, he did get a huge pile of crap, including a horn that I can't... Yeah, that the I can't horn. wait to hear him play. And, it, and he's like, you bought a Sunki horn? He's right. Like, for music night. Duh. <laughs> music night on the ship, Zuko. <laughs> And I always like, he's like, I always say, the only thing better than finding something you're looking for is finding something you weren't looking for at a great bargain. <laughs> it's just like basket after basket after basket of junk. But also, let's be real. Zuko does not attend music night on the ship. He locks himself in his room and he does his angsty meditative candle breathing. and like, Possibly writes poetry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Zuko does not attend music night. Oh, Iroh is just every like he's just so great. Like every time Iroh's in there, he's just like mm, just yeah. ultimate troll. <laughs> oh, my other favorite line in this one was bleeding oh, right, hog monkeys. Yeah, after a ship was stolen, bleeding hog monkeys. <laughs> And then, I, then later I was like, have we seen hog no. monkeys yet? <laughs> and I feel like they've come up at least one or two other times already, mm. and we still haven't seen them. Hog monkeys? I think so. I think they've, yeah, I think they've mentioned them before. Um, yeah. My only other two mm. things are, um, one, um, with Aang buying the whistle, I'm pretty sure they've got all of the stuff they need. Like, every piece of gear that they kind of end up with is now in their possession, now that he's got the whistle. And the other thing I've got is that I just really liked watching Aang and Katara work in concert, waterbending the ship at the end to keep it from going over the falls. I'd, I feel like that's, like, mm-hmm. another... Like, we've seen earthbenders working together, and we've seen firebenders working together. We This is the first time we've seen two waterbenders doing a thing. It's just, you know, like, fills in the world a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a nice <laughs> use of Chekhov's bison whistle. Mm-hmm. Because you mentioned it... Three times. It comes up three times. Mm-hmm. And I was like, clever, yeah. clever. Uh, pretty well done. And um, I, I feel like the pirates in this episode are, like, based on people. Maybe I think I should know them. But then I wasn't sure if... Because, like, this is not exactly spoilery. But, like, later on in the show, we see other characters, like, characters from the Earth Kingdom who are clearly based on, like... Pro wrestlers, oh, yeah. <laughs> like real life pro wrestlers, and so I was like watching this episode with the pirates, and I was like, "Am I supposed to recognize any of these people?" Because like I don't really know. And there's like one of them that's like really yeah, yeah, feminine yeah. looking, that has like kind of like feminine hair and like lips, 
but like also topless. And I was like, <laughs> can't really tell what you're supposed to be, what you're not supposed to be. Um, but that was just like kind of random observation because they do do little jokes like that in in the show. They they do kind of like base characters on physical characteristics of other people. So wasn't sure about that. Didn't really have the time to look that up since I saw it actually. I just watched this one in particular mm. just today before we started recording. So I've also got a thing about the uh, mm. the quote parrot on the lead pirate shoulder, which I've just labeled scary shoulder monster. (laughs) I think they called it a parrot lizard. Did they? I think they did. Yeah, but it is creepy. Yeah, real creepy. And I'm glad Momo, you know, tied it up in a flag and left it to die off a waterfall. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel bad. Don't mess no. with Momo. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, despite his, like, really vacant expression, Momo's pretty clever. Yeah, he's on the ball. All right. Do we have any further thoughts in particular on the waterbending scroll? No, just that it was incredibly painful for me to watch, and it's supremely <laughs> embarrassing that apparently when you guys watch it, you immediately thought of me. <laughs> I have many good qualities, listeners. <laughs> it's true. She is, and so does Katara. All around, true. good people, both of them. <laughs> but yeah, so that that one was tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's just like when you'd ask, like, "What nation do you think I am?" Like, water. Yeah, you guys water. didn't hesitate. I asked on the first nope. episode. You were no. both immediately like, "Your water." <laughs> yep. Not even, not, not even a little bit. <laughs> Do you guys have any spoilery thoughts I should step away for? I jotted down a few things. I don't know. JJ, do you have anything? Not in particular, but we can certainly discuss the ones that you've written down. Okay. Yeah. All right. I will, I'll take off my headphones now. Just wave and uh, let me know when you want me to come back. Okay, cool. Okay. Hello. I'm nervous. That took a long time. <laughs> we were talking about you the whole time. I, yeah, I was actually talking about you, Kelly. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't listen to that spoiler episode until we're like done with the show. I'm not going to listen to any of them. I'm not going to listen to any of them, I promise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, do we have any other final thoughts on these three? You know, we've had sort of our favorite little bits and moments and, and lines. I mean, these are really solid, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. these are three They're of just, the best episodes yeah. that we've seen so far, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. I know that the rift is coming, is the next, right? Isn't that the one of the episodes of the next three that... Oh, the Great, the great Divide. Divide yeah. yeah, that's what it's called, which is... like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible episode, but uh, it's going to annoy us because it's it's vacant in plot like nothing nothing in that episode makes it out of that episode it's it's literally filler just filler doesn't have no they do lampshade it later though oh do they (laughs) they do um uh they don't like plot elements from that episode don't actually 
come back, but they do reference that episode in universe, which is quite funny. That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next time, we'll be covering the episodes Jet, The Great Divide, The Storm, and The Blue Spirit. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. As always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your podcast provider of choice. Or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on Twitter. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJ Jones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S on Twitter or my website at sjjones.com. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin McLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't probably re re record this part. (laughs) Mike. Oh, what? Oh, sorry. Sorry. I didn't realize there were two pages. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right. I'm drunk. I'm so jealous. I'm not. Oh, we are professionals.